Well, good morning and welcome, one and all. Glad you are here on this June the 19th, and I'm told, based on the chocolate in the foyer, that it's Father's Day today. So if you are a father, I'd invite you to stand if you're able so we can see who you are. And we can say, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Daddies. All right, you can sit down. I know you don't want to stand up for more than five seconds. That's fine. All right, but uh, we do want to uh, celebrate uh, our dads here today, and so uh, if you didn't see it already on your way out this time, uh, there are chocolate uh, candy bars on the table. Uh, I think it's uh, Mr. Good Dad bars, if I uh, remember correctly. So uh, you can go ahead and take one of those with you on your way home. If you're a good dad, a good husband, you will probably just hand it to your wife and keep on walking, right? So that's fine. That's all right. Uh, a couple of things I'd like to bring to your attention. Uh, being a father is a pretty, pretty awesome thing. Being a husband is a pretty awesome thing, too. And there's a guy here that has been a husband for 65 years, which means his wife has been his wife for 65 years. I was told that they're celebrating this 65th wedding anniversary on the 22nd. And from what I hear, uh, about uh, 40 years have been good. This is what I'm told. All right, the other 25 have been great. Okay, I think that's how that goes. All right, but uh, it's you, Dean and Sandy, right there in the middle. All right, congratulations. So if you ever wonder, how long, God, am I supposed to put up with my husband? At least 65 years. It can be done. It can be done. All right? Honey, you hear that? At least 65, right? We're going to go for more than that, though. Anyway, enough of that. We've got to get on to some thank yous. All right, first thank you to uh, the dads, but then also we just had uh, Vacation Bible School this past week. If you were here last Sunday, you saw some of the, the stage, and that is now gone. But I get to tell you that we had a, a wonderful time here with uh, a number of students, and uh, the students were able to bring in and raise over $800 for uh, the positive alternatives. And so thank you to all of our students that brought in the, the money. Yep. It is always helpful to have a friendly competition, girls versus guys, and they did. And uh, secret's going to get out right now. The girls actually won, but then at the last second, a mom came in with some extra money for her son, for the boys, and it tipped the scale the other way. And so the boys ended up winning by, by a couple of dollars. So thank you for that mom bringing in some extra money for that. But uh, the, the real winner is going to be the, the families, the moms, the kids that are able to get some car seats and strollers and things of that nature uh, who are unable to do that on their own. So thank you for that. Uh, a thank you to all of our helpers, all of our students and leaders that participated uh, outside doing the games, the crafts, all sorts of things. It takes uh, more than just a couple of people uh, to run a vacation Bible school. And so I want to thank... Uh, I'm going to do it anyway. If you helped out in any way, shape, or form in Vacation Bible School here on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, would you stand, please? Just a, a quick recognition. You can sit right back down. But uh, we do thank you all so very much uh, for your help with that. Uh, additionally, uh, next week we're going to have a missionary speaker and his wife, Bill and Kathy Britton, are going to be here. And uh, they're with ABWE in Liberia. Uh, yeah, Liberia. 
And uh, they're going to be here with us in the Sunday school hour, so our senior high through adult classes are going to meet here for Sunday school uh, as they share about the ministry. And then uh, Brother Bill's going to also preach uh, next Sunday morning. So I'd encourage you to come back and be a part of that service next Sunday morning. Uh, other than that, I'm glad to see you here. We're excited to worship with you together this morning. If you would, please uh, stand as we have our call to worship this morning. Our call to worship comes from Psalms 46, verses 6 through 10. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. Scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Reads as follows. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And you may be seated. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 16. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's page 854, 854, Mark 16. Well, Christ has died, Christ was buried, and Christ is risen. Amen. Last week... We saw how the resurrection of Jesus was uh, doubted by some and believed by others as they saw appearances or heard appearances uh, of Jesus confirmed. Though some doubted, others believed, and to these who believed, Jesus gave a commission, or as many have called it, a great commission, the great commission. Verses uh, 15 through 20, here in chapter 16 of Mark, uh, conclude the ending of Mark here. Verse 15 and 16 read like this, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Verses 17 and 18 talk about the 
Uh, talk about signs. Look at verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. They will drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, um, we said last week that uh, these verses, verses uh, 9 through 21, are believed to not have been in the, the oldest manuscripts uh, of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, additionally, uh, whereas most of the content in those verses, as we said this last week, are in other places in the Gospels, uh, this part about the signs is not in any of the other Gospels. Now, one commentator warns that the, the great doubt concerning the genuineness of these verses in the originals renders it unwise to take these verses as the foundation for doctrine or practice unless supported by other and genuine portions of the New Testament. And so we said last week, most of what Mark says here in the ending is confirmed in other places. And so we can read it with confidence, we can learn from it, and we can see how it connects with other portions of Scripture. Here, this, this passage is not so much supported by other passages of Scripture, at least not in the application that has been made of it by some. Uh, this is where you get into people who, who are into snake handling and things of this nature, uh, thinking that that is somehow a sign uh, of, of the Great Commissioner, of those who, who believe. Uh, John MacArthur writes, these signs are promised to the apostolic community. And he cites Matthew chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, not all believers in all ages. And that he cites also 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29 through 30. So we don't want to give too much uh, time to this, too much attention to it, uh, other than to say that, that uh, the, the other places in the Bible do not support the idea that these signs will be uh, given to you and me. But as we read the whole of the New Testament, we do see apostolic, um, the apostolic community uh, finding some of these signs uh, to be true. Even the, the, the snake part um, we see in Acts chapter 28 when Paul is bitten by a snake and he doesn't die, right? That, that's the only time in the scriptures where we see such a thing happening. Uh, so we move on then to verses 19 through 20. And here we see uh, Jesus's ascension and the subsequent uh, apostolic ministry. Verse 19, so when Jesus, the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into the clouds and sat at the right hand of God. And they, that's the apostles, went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Uh, this is, uh, to some degree, a summarization of Luke's account of Jesus' ascension. It is also includes verse 20, which basically is a summarization of what, what the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts is the, the continuation of, of the ministry of Jesus by the apostles through the Spirit. That's what the, the book of Acts is all about, or the Acts of the Apostles is all about, as they formed or were part of forming the early church. Uh, for our time this morning, though, we want to focus on the commission that Jesus gave. After having lived the perfect life, preached the good news, taught his disciples many things, suffered and died for sin, rose victoriously over sin, Jesus then gave a final directive before ascending to the Father. Uh, this commission we already read in verses 15 and 16 is, is again possibly a, a summation of, of the other gospel writers 
as we can see in Matthew chapter 28. So for our time this morning, I'd like to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 28. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 835, 835, Matthew chapter 28. You already heard these verses read this morning, and it sets the scene as the the, the 11 disciples uh, went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed. And when they saw him, we, we looked at this before, some worshiped, some doubted. And then Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ, has been given, in his words, all authority in heaven and on earth. And who gave him such authority? God, the Father, gave him such authority. This is a divine decree. This isn't, this isn't Jesus just uh, taking power for himself. This has been given. All authority in heaven has been given to me. It is his power. It is his rightful power. We see that stress throughout the Gospels, that, that Jesus is the one who has the authority. Jesus is the one who has the power. And because he has the authority, because he is king, then that, what does that mean for us? It means that we're not king, right? It means that therefore we must submit to this king, this king who calls the shots, this king who gives out this great commission. With his authority, he announces this commission in verse 19. Look at it there. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. First, we want to see here and understand that there is one main verb in verses 18, excuse me, verses 19 and 20. And it is the verb make disciples. In in the original language, that's, that's one word. Here we have it as a phrase, make disciples. It is the primary imperative or the primary command. When Jesus makes this great commission, he is saying, make disciples or make learners. Quite literally, it would have meant make followers of me. Make make people, have people follow me. Do what I do. Hear what I I, uh, say. Do what I do. Go where I, I went, right? That's what Jesus would have been calling his followers to do. Today, disciples are still called to follow Jesus, to obey his word, to, to be like him, to be like the master. There are those who claim to be Christians. Right? Many people claim to be a Christian. They claim to be a follower. Do you want to know the, one of the evidences, the primary evidences of being a follower? is following, right? Aren't you glad you came this morning? Pro, profound words from the pastor. It is following, Right? But there's lots of people who, who go about their lives suggesting that they are a Christian, suggesting that they are a follower, and never following. It's similar to, to those great words from, from the classic movie, Princess Bride, where Inigo Montoya says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> right? There's a lot of people running around claiming to be a Christian, and yet they, follow, they do not follow Jesus. The the essence of Christianity is to be like Jesus, is to follow Jesus. Now, you might think that that feels a little judgy to you, that that I'm sitting here suggesting that there are people who call themselves Christians and who are not Christians. Well, then, 
listen to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is not some arbitrary judgment that, that we make. Being a Christian or being a disciple or being a follower is objective. It is not subjective. We live in a time where, where everyone can, can be who they want to be. and You can't tell me I, I'm this. You can't tell me I'm that. Well, I'm not doing anything. The Bible says what a Christian is. A Bible says what, what, what a follower is, what a disciple is. It is objective. The definition is not up for discussion. One commentary boils it down to say this. A disciple uh, or disciples are those who hear, understand, and obey Jesus' teaching. When we talk about making disciples, sometimes we wonder, does that mean evangelism? Uh, does that mean discipleship? Does that mean telling people about Jesus? Or does that mean helping people grow into becoming like Jesus? And to that we say, yes, it is in fact both. It is in fact both making converts, if you will, and spiritual growth after salvation. Here, Jesus' words actually inform our understanding. Look at verse 19 again. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and, verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we see one imperative, one command, make disciples. But with that, we see three requirements or participles here. Going, baptizing, and teaching. These are the three requirements. If making disciples is the command, then these three phrases, go, baptizing, and teaching, are what characterize the directive. This is what supports the directive. The first is going, or go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Again, because Jesus is Lord, disciples are called to go and make disciples. That's the call. It's not an option. This isn't an idea that Jesus is giving. This isn't a, a, a potential idea that maybe some Christians should consider doing. This is the call of the Lord upon his disciples. Jesus also commands who are to be made disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations or every ethne, every people group. Not, not just Jews, Gentiles, and, and on and on, everywhere and everyone. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The end of the earth. From Jerusalem, the end of the earth is probably here, right? We're probably the end of the earth in that sense. Sometimes we think about going back that direction as the end of the earth, but if, if it started there, the ends of the earth is more like here. But the point would still be that the gospel goes to everyone, everywhere. Global Frontier Mission writes, it is estimated that of the 7.75 billion people alive in the world today, 3.23 billion of them live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to the Gospel Project, there are approximately 17,446 unique people groups in the world, with over 7,400 of them considered unreached, meaning 41% of the world's population is unreached. And the vast majority of that, 
of these groups exist in the, what's called the 1040 window, which less than 10% of mission work is done among these people. There's a lot of work to do. Jesus' commission continues today. It can be, continues for you and me as it did for the disciples at that time. Some have suggested that this, this go could be said, as you are going, make disciples. Uh, this stresses the imperative to, to make disciples more than the going. But if the nations are going to be reached, disciples must go. It, it is imperative that disciples go if the nations are going to be reached. Going is not the primary command here, but its presence in the text should not be dismissed. When I was in college, we were at a missions conference and there was a missionary who asked this question, are you willing to go but planning to stay or are you planning to go but willing to stay? Those are convicting questions for any disciple. Some might say, well, I can't go. I can't go for this reason or for that reason. Maybe that's true. Maybe you can't go to a foreign land. Well, J.C. Ryle writes, if we cannot go to the heathen in China or in India, let us seek to enlighten the darkness which we shall easily find within the reach of our own door. Foreign lands or not, the commission is to make disciples. And the commission involves going, going somewhere, going across the street, going down the hall, going to the next office, wherever it involves going. And so we ask, where are you going? How are you making disciples? Jesus then explains the second requirement in the rest of verse 19. You see it there. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' commission to his disciples was to make disciples by going, and now secondly, baptizing. A baptism is a sign of personal faith. It is identification with Jesus. Meaning this, that the baptism does not save. Baptism is a step of obedience for those who have been saved. It follows conversion. For someone to be baptized, they must have heard the gospel and responded to Jesus by faith. When Jesus says baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's talking about evangelism. Evangelism means to tell the good news. Evangel, that, that means good news. Evangelism is both a spiritual gift that we see in Ephesians chapter 4, and it's also a command in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, evangelism can be a scary word. In our culture, it's, it's probably not even politically correct. But when you think about the word, how, how do you react to it? What is your first, you can just answer to yourself, of course, but are you excited about that? Like, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's go tell some people about Jesus. Or is it, is it fear? Is it hesitation? Is it dread? Oh, I gotta tell people about Jesus. Is, is it duty? I'll do it because I have to. What, what, what is that the primary response? Let's just be honest about it, right? Not all of us are, are always really excited about it. We can be honest about that. But what if evangelism is seen not as only a, a cold call or a knocking on a door, but as what one writer calls spiritual care. What if it was 
more like a one-on-one conversation with a friend? What if it was more of a dialogue and less of a monologue? What if it happened through relationship rather than through debate? How would evangelism feel then? How would you think about evangelism differently if you didn't think about it like walking down the street trying to get somebody who doesn't want to talk to you to talk to you? Most of us aren't real good at that. Most people don't even want to hear that, right? Research done earlier this year by LifeWay Research found that around a quarter, that's 23%, say, of of Christians that were part of this study, uh, say they were ready for an opportunity to tell someone of how to become a Christian. 23%. 27% were prepared to share the basic steps. Another one in five, that's about 19%, say they would, uh, they know the essentials but are uncomfortable putting, uh, putting it into words. And another quarter of Christians, 24, say they aren't sure what information needs to be shared or where to even start. So this means that half of Christians are ready to share at least something, and about half are unprepared to share. So we ask you, which half are you in this morning? Are you, do you have enough information? Do, do you know enough to be able to share? Or would you be in the second half that says, maybe I know something, but I'm not quite sure how to put it into words, or maybe you don't feel like you know enough at all? This research, this research also found that two in three, that's 66% of Christians say they aren't familiar with any method of telling others about Jesus. If you're going to do a job, you need tools, right? We, we, all, we all know that. Many Christians don't have or don't think they have the tools to tell others about Jesus. That's what this research is telling us. They don't think they have a, a method to do it. Let me offer you just a couple thoughts on that. Number one, build a relationship that requires an explanation, First of all, if, if we were had to have a relationship with someone and we lived like a Christian in that relationship, it may very well elicit naturally questions about why you do what you do, why you don't do what you do. Why do you go to church on Sundays? Why do you, whatever, fill in the blank. If we live that way, it will maybe even naturally, we could say, elicit opportunities to take the conversation further. Secondly, we can share our own testimony. Here's the reality. All of you who are Christians have a testimony. That's a tool. That's a method. It is simply saying, this is what Jesus has done in my life. Can I tell you about what Jesus has done in my life? It's simply to share your story. It's your story. It's your story of what what God has done. It's not up for debate. It's, you're, you're not arguing with somebody about it. You're just telling them about what Jesus has done in you, in you and why that, that matters. Think about the story in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus heals the demon-possessed man. And the man wants to follow Jesus. Do you remember this? He wants to get in the boat with the disciples. and He wants to go with Jesus. And wouldn't you, right? You'd want to go too. And Jesus tells him no. And rather than him coming with Jesus, he tells him to go home. And to tell people about what Jesus has done for them, for him. What is that? That's his testimony. Go back and tell people your story. Go back and tell what what Christ has done in your life. Demonstrate what a changed life looks like. 
demonstrate what it means for Jesus to come into your life. We can ask simple questions. You don't have to be some deep theologian to ask a question like, what do you believe about Jesus? It's a simple question, isn't it? What do you believe about Jesus? There's no judgment there. That's just simply asking the question. You can follow up that question by saying, can I show you in the Bible what the, what, what, what the Bible says about Jesus? Asking the question. They could say no and you move on or they say, sure. And then you go to the familiar texts. The familiar texts. Go to John 3.16. Go to John 14.6. Go to Acts 4.12. Go to the easy, easy verses and show who Jesus is and what he did and what he provides. Several years ago, a book came out called Sharing Jesus Without Fear. Many uh, of people in our church have been helped by that book. And in that book, they, the, the writer offers just five simple questions that, that you can talk through someone with, and then supporting scriptures to direct, direct them to. I would recommend that uh, resource to you. The, the fourth option here is to use what's called the three circles illustration. There's actually an app that you can have on your phone, and you can just walk people through these, these, these pictures, these slides, with the text uh, right there. Of, of They could read it themselves. But, but this is what, what the, the illustration looks like. First, they talk about God's design. We start at the beginning. That God created everything, and he designed it for purpose and for beauty. Uh, and it's all around us, right? We can, we can see that God has a design in this world. The Bible tells us that God originally planned a world to work perfectly. Everything fit together. We were made with a purpose. We were made to worship. We were made to be with God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after creation, God looks at all this creation and says it's very good. But sin entered the picture. Life does not work when we ignore God. Right? It doesn't work. The original design of our life does not work because of sin, because of our selfishness. We insist on going our own ways. That's sin. Sin distorts the original design of God. And the consequences is, are that, that men are separated. People are separated from God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. The wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, this leads to brokenness. Brokenness uh, is what we see today, isn't it? Brokenness is why we see violence. Brokenness is why we see relationships falling apart, why we see disunity even among Christians. All of that helps us to realize that life is not working as it should, that there's been a departure from God's design. And when we see the brokenness, we tend to say, like, how can I fix it? What can I do? We try to be better. We try to do, do good things. We try to become more religious. We try to, try to fix the brokenness. There's a, a way that seems right into a man, but the end is the way of death. Right? Brokenness tells us that there's a problem, and at some point we come to figure out, I can't fix the problem. I can't fix the problem of brokenness in the world, and I can't fix the problem of brokenness in me. Which leads us then to a need for a remedy a need for good news. And the good news is that God did not leave us in our brokenness, that he sent his own son to come in human flesh to live and to die for us. He came to rescue us so that we could be brought back to God, doing what we could not do, living the perfect life and dying our death. When Jesus was raised from, our, from, his, 
raised from the dead for our sins, he provided a way for us to be brought back to God, to be rescued and restored to a relationship with God, for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life, John 3.16. But how does this work? How does this gospel, how, how can we know this, this rescue? Simply hearing is not good enough. It's not good enough just to hear the words. We must believe. We must admit that we are sinful, admit that we are broken, and trust in God, stop trusting in ourselves. We need to ask for God's forgiveness, to turn from our sins, and to trust Christ alone. We must, in the words of Mark chapter 1, verse 15, repent and believe. And in so doing, we receive new life, and God gives us a new direction. For by grace you have been saved, it's not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. But how do we get back to God's design? It is through the gospel that we recover and pursue God's good design. Even when we fail, even when we mess up, God has a pathway for restoration. It is that same good news, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Having trusted in Christ, we have the power of the Spirit to, to help us pursue his design in this life and in the next. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who is working in you, enabling you to both desire and to work out his good purposes. This is a, a tool, at which point then we would say something like, or could say something like, would you like to trust Jesus? Romans chapter 10 tells us that whosoever will, will, will believe, whoever trusts in the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a tool. You don't have a model, here's a model. You don't have a pathway to talk to somebody about Jesus, here's a pathway to talk to somebody about Jesus. We can't go on about an excuse of we don't, we don't know what to say. Christian, if you're in the church, quite frankly, we all are more... Oh, we are more educated for our obedience. For the, our level of obedience, we have more education. We, we have the knowledge. The question is, are we going to share the knowledge? And here's the reality. There are obstacles. There's obstacles for every one of us. Some of it's fear of man. Some of it's perceived ignorance. Some of it's you don't want to step on other people's toes. All, all the rest, right? There are obstacles. And Satan would love to make those obstacles into mountains, Mountains that prevent you and me from saying anything. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to get it wrong. What if I say something wrong? Well, are you trusting yourself or are you trusting the Spirit of God? Just stick to the Bible and you'll be fine. King Jesus has commanded his disciples to go, to make disciples, and to baptize them. We have a job to do. Here's just a simple prayer that you can pray. Lord, give me opportunities to share wisdom to see the opportunities, and boldness to speak. What if we prayed that prayer every day? What if that was the heartbeat of every morning? Lord, give me opportunities. Help me to see it. Right? Some of us have, have seen it in the rearview mirror, right? Oh, that was an opportunity, right? Help me to see it, and then give me the boldness to speak. Give me the courage to speak. Help me to say something. Jesus offers a final requirement in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Conversion is not the end of disciple making. It is the beginning. The command is to make disciples. 
which includes salvation and sanctification. It includes trusting Christ and growing in Christ. It includes coming to know him and being formed in his image, knowing him and becoming like him. Disciple making involves teaching others to observe all that Jesus has commanded. First off, this teaching is not mere transformation or transmission of facts. Sometimes we think of, of teaching as a lecture, just downloading information. That's not the teaching that we're talking about. We're talking about teaching that leads to or causes learning. Teaching is not about Jesus' commands. It's to observe what he has commanded. If all we do is talk about his commands and never observe his commands, we are not doing the Great Commission. We need to know what the commands are, yes, but we need to observe the commands. That is what Jesus has said. Jesus didn't say, go memorize all my commands. That's not what he said. He said, teach them to observe all of my commands. Now, you need to know in order to do, yes and amen, but you can know and not do. Woe to us who know and are not doing. Jesus was clear about what to teach. All that I have commanded you. All. There's no getting around the word all here, is there? Not some of what Jesus commanded. Not the parts we like. Not the parts that everyone agrees upon. Not the parts that the culture wants to hear or doesn't want to hear. No, no, all. He ordered the command. He tells us what we are to say. This is not, just so we're clear, this is not saying what Jesus commanded versus what the Old Testament says. Or the red letters in your Bible versus the black letters in your Bible. That is not what the, the contrast here is. All of what he commanded means all of the scriptures. Why? Because Jesus affirmed the Old Testament, first of all. And second of all, all of it is God-breathed. So all of it, according to Paul, is profitable. So we teach all of it. We teach all the commands to be followed, to be observed. We preach Christ and no other. We preach all of what he commanded. Everything, the whole counsel of God. And there is a temptation. Listen, there is a temptation to omit. There's a temptation to skip over verses for Christians today. There's a temptation to say, well, that's, that, that's just cultural. <laughs> or he didn't really mean it that way. Right? Now, there are things that are cultural, and we need to understand how to interpret the Bible. But the commands of Jesus are to be observed. The commands to you and to me in the New Testament, in the church today, are to be observed. All of the commands. We see all three times there, don't we? All his commands for all the nations because he alone has all authority. It's not for some of the nations. It's for all the nations. But Jesus concludes this great commission with a promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Isn't that beautiful? It's almost as if Jesus might have known that this wasn't going to be easy for them. Almost as if he might have known that there's discouragement coming. That maybe there'll be opposition to this kind of teaching, this kind of living. That evangelism might be scary for some of the disciples. That discipleship might take longer than we expect. Might be messier. 
might be a, a one step forward, a two step back process. Yes, it seems as though he did know those things and therefore he promised to be with us. I am with you always to the end of the age. Therefore, we do not need to fear. God is with us. God is with you in the Great Commission. God is with you when you take the gospel to your friend. God is with you when you talk to your family member. God is with you when you're having that conversation with the coworker. God is with you. God is with you. That should comfort you. That should encourage you. But that should also motivate you to say, listen, who am I doing this for? Yes, I care about this loved one. Yes and amen, you should care about them. But do you care more about obedience to Christ? When it comes time, who, who do we care more about the approval of the world or the approval of God? That's the question. The question at the end of your life is, is not, did everyone think I was good? <laughs> did, I, did I offend the least amount of people? Was I thought well of by the community? That's not the goal. The goal is the glory of God. The goal is obedience. The goal is faithfulness to what God has said. Warren Wearsby writes, a disciple then is one who has believed on Jesus Christ and expressed his faith by being baptized. He remains in fellowship with believers that he might be taught the truths of the faith. He then is able to go out and win others to teach them. This was the pattern of the New Testament. And he cites 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. The things that you have received, commit these to faithful men that they may teach others also. What is that a picture of? That's a picture of a disciple who's making disciples who make disciples. We want to be a church that makes disciples. But really what we want to be is a disciple-making church. Disciples who make disciple-makers. One writer has summarized this discipleship like this. Disciple making is helping people to trust and follow Jesus. How simple is that? How beautiful is that? You, th you think you're prepared for that? To help people trust and follow Jesus? If you know him, you're prepared to do that. You can do that. Point to the, the familiar places of the Bible. Do it together. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to, 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 to know everything in order to help someone trust and follow Jesus. If these were Jesus' last words, and they were, before ascending, then they must be important. Right? They must be important. Most of us, if not all of us, would agree that this commission is from Jesus, and it is a command or a directive to all his disciples. Make disciples who make disciples. That's the commission. So then we ask ourselves, with some measure of reflection and by grace introspection to say, how are we doing with that? We talk a lot about the phrase, more and better disciples. It's a great phrase. I love the phrase. I, I hope we are doing that. I want us to be doing that, but, but how are we doing? We want revival. We want people to be saved, but, but how are we doing? What are we doing to, those, to that end? So we ask this, who are you discipling? Like right now in your life, can you look at someone who you are intentionally, purposely pouring your life into that they either might know Jesus or follow Jesus better? Intentionally. And we all have the, the, the random opportunities. Yes and amen. But who are you intentionally pursuing? Or you may say, I'm not sure about it. Who? Who then could you be discipling? 
If this is the commission of Jesus, then this is what we need to do. Who can you disciple? Who is it in your life who, who needs to hear? Who is it in your life who needs to take the next step in their walk with Jesus? Who is that one person? Even right now, as I'm saying that, for most of you, there's a name right there. There's a name. There's someone who, who a family member or a coworker or a friend who you know does not know Jesus or you don't know if they know Jesus and you've not had the conversation yet. I would invite you this morning, right now, to write down the name. Write it down. There's something about writing it down that makes it more real. Full disclosure, I have a name written down in my notes. I have a person in my life who I don't think knows Jesus. They, they're religious. I don't think they know Jesus, but I've never, I've never confronted them about it. I've never taken this step. Write the name down and begin to pray for opportunities. Pray this prayer. Lord, give me opportunities to share, wisdom to see, and boldness to speak. Let's see what God does with that. If this is his commission, then it's something he wants you to do. And if our heart is to follow him, to obey him, and we're praying for the opportunity, we're asking for the wisdom, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, what? Ask of God. So we're asking wisdom to see. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we miss it. To be ready for when it comes and then boldness to speak. You know it, right? There's the moment. There's the moment of decision. And quite frankly, if we're waiting until the moment of decision to make the decision, we've probably waited too long. We need to commit now that when that moment comes, we're going to say something and rely on the Lord. The Lord told the disciples, don't worry about what to say. When it comes time, I'll give you the words. Do we trust God enough? Do we believe that he'll give us the words? Do we believe that his, his word is enough? Again, you might say, I'm not sure of all the verses used. It's okay. Do, do what you can. Do what you know and trust God with that. Go to the, the familiar verses. They're familiar for a reason. You know that? They're popular for a reason. John 3.16 has been around a long time. And one of the reasons why it's used so much is because it's really good. <laughs> Don't be put off with the familiarity. Use what you know. It's a good verse. It includes so much. It is so clear. Use it. Don't be afraid. You don't have to use the, 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 the hard-to-find stuff. Use the easy stuff. Use the stuff that makes sense, that is easier to explain. And may God make us a family of disciple-making disciples for the glory of God, a family who, who wants to see more and better disciples, and not just as aspiration, but as something that we are proactively pursuing by grace. Would you pray now with me and ask God to help us do that for his glory? Lord, we do pray for your help. We pray that you would give us opportunities to share, wisdom to see, and boldness to speak. God, we admit that there are times where we have, we have missed the opportunities. Maybe it was a conversation Maybe it was an interaction. Maybe it was a passing comment, but we missed the opportunities. So God, would you give us those opportunities again and give us wisdom to see it? And would you prepare us now to have the boldness to speak? Would you prepare us now with, with, with even some measure of a, of a, of a plan? What, what, what would I say? Can I show you in the Bible how you can know you're going to heaven? What do you believe about Jesus? Can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? Do you ever wonder why the world is so broken? Lord, all these kind of questions are, are opportunities to start. God, would you give us those opportunities? 
maybe even this week, would you give us eyes to see it, wisdom to take it, and boldness to speak. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Our God.